Logan. I know how to say that name because we've spoken before. You are our second returning visitor to the library, so you have used your laminated library card, gotten past Roy Keane, uh, and you are wandering around the bookshelves because you want to drop off. Your encyclopedia of everything that is wrong in the modern game, is it just me, or is modern football est asterisk asterisk T? Um, have you counted up the asterisks in this book? No, but I imagine there's quite a few. I mean, I've just turned to a random page and there's one there. Um, exactly. Did you want it to have asterisks um, on grounds of obscenity or avoiding obscenity? There's a, there's F's, there's B's, there's a whole cornucopia of swear words. So did you write it with asterisks or did Pitch suggest to you that there should be asterisks? No, I think I, I, I wrote it with my man because I, I was conscious, I think of just how many occasions I was, I was kind of writing swear words. Because I guess that's what kind of football is for a lot of people. It's, it's one of those mediums where you just let rip, don't you, during the week, and it's uh, you, you maybe talk in a way that you wouldn't necessarily talk in other walks of life, and I, 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 and I was writing as a fan uh, in this book, and um, you know, there's so much in the modern game that really frustrates me, and that often, obviously occasionally gives rise to different swear words. It is, so it's catharsis. Do you think the main reason that modern football is a billion-pound enterprise is of catharsis? People don't really want to watch men kicking a ball about. Because you can do that at your kids. Is it under nine, under ten now? Yeah, under twelve now. Oh, well, and, and when it goes on. Has it started again? Yeah, we, we're Good. down to like a, a short little um, tournament at the, uh, at the end of the season. So the, the main season's sort of being cancelled now. They've got like a six, seven game little run in into June. So um, just, just to give them some football, really. That's superb. Because I was reading the epilogue of your book, How to Run a Football Club, which came out last year. And you, you end with a bounce because you put yourself in the narrative like all great writers do and then pull back to talk to various other people whom you've talked to throughout the book. I suppose when I was going into this book, is it just me or is modern football shit? The answer is yes. Knowing that you actually like the game. I mean, there's a reason that Richard Foster wrote a similar book and why yeah. Chris Sutton wrote a book called You're Better Than That. Yeah. It's because they love the game. Has your love of the game increased, decreased, or stayed the same in the last nine months? I think it, it, it kind of increases every year. I think certainly getting involved with grassroots football has, has given me kind of maybe a different um, point of view in the game and maybe kind of deepen my love with it. Because I've always just been kind of every, everything that's me out. I've played grassroots football years ago, but for, you know, for the last, say, 20 years, my main kind of interaction with football has been just through Everton and now say four or five years I've been doing the coaching and working with their kids at grassroots and weirdly having that taken away from me during the, kind of the recent uh, lockdowns I miss that a lot more than I missed Everton because I think it's just a, it's a it's a more satisfying experience so um, yes certainly over, over the last you know nine months I've really appreciated what I get from that level of football and thus you were able to channel your frustrations into this book which came out a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, which is why you're back in the football line. We're talking on May the 5th, the day that uh, the winners of Chelsea against Real Madrid, uh, these are two clubs that wanted to break away to form a Super League, are playing effectively the Emirates state of Abu Dhabi in the final of a tournament that is being expanded into irrelevance. Are you kind of hopeful that Everton stay the seventh best team in England? Because then you won't touch this Super League or even the Champions League. It's a weird one because I think you know every I think every fan wants kind of upward progression, but obviously for a team like Everton to do that, 
I think means becoming a, a very different club. If we if we do can return to the, the so called elite of the game, we inevitably won't be the club we are now. I'm sure there are a lot of fans who are, who are slightly conflicted about what that means. Obviously, you want to win trophies; that's just natural, and you want to play European football. But you don't necessarily want your club to turn into Liverpool or Man United, and, and what that means for kind of the relationship with the fans. So it's, yeah, I think at the moment I was quite glad that Everton had been, you know, a bit crap for so long because you weren't involved in that conversation at all. What do you think Philip Carter would make of this? Because, of course, as you know, Carter was one of the people who wanted to break away because Everton really were one of the best teams uh, in England, in Europe, but they couldn't take part in European competition at the time. So Everton wanted to split off to form the Premier League, and that was what? Spurs, Arsenal, Man U, Everton and Derby, I think. Uh, 30 years on, Everton have been overtaken by Man City, Chelsea... Even Leicester to an extent. No one mentions it because they are yeah. very benevolent at Leicester. But Leicester, I would argue, are financially a bigger club than Everton. Yeah, probably at the moment. I mean, Everton might have the history in that, but we're, you know, we're not... Um, I mean, we spent a lot in recent years, but we're not in those positions. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not part of, of the, the conversation of kind of a Champions League or uh, European Super League football. So it's... Um, but I think... I think had we maintained our position at the top, I think we'd have thought along the same lines as elite clubs do nowadays. I'm, I'm, I'm calm. I think we had to think that ever the difference, but we're different because of what's happened over the past 30 years. But I think if we'd still been an elite club, I, I think obviously we'd have been part of it. That's just the, the, the way things are. Which is probably why City and Chelsea were the first teams to um, withdraw. Yeah. From the ESL, but then why in the first place? Why use the excuse of well, we were kind of strong-armed into it? Just say no. Yeah, I know. It's 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 weird, and you feel like this has been a long time coming. I mean, the 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 discussions about this kind of big way have been going on for what twenty twenty five years, and being held held over UEFA by these big clubs as well, and kind of try and get things in 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 return um, so they don't don't break away. So it's. um, yeah, I, I, it's not a surprising development, and I don't really think it's necessarily over either. But I like Michael McIntyre. Yeah, I, I don't. And that is why <laughs> that isn't a non sequitur, because in this book you say, like the Saturday night primetime career of Michael McIntyre, it's a terrible idea that won't go away. No, it won't. Oscar and Lucas. Actually, yeah, Oscar and Lucas are two players who haven't played for. Uh, those are his sons, who haven't played for Everton. Uh, the European Super League is one of the things that make modern football shit. Uh, the final victory for those who believe that football without money, not fans, is nothing. And yet you live near Brighton, where money has transformed that club. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think a lot of people talk about, you know, uh, a post-1992 world of kind of being obsessed with money. Like, like money has never mattered in football. And obviously from the game's origins, money's always mattered. It's always been the case that the clubs with the deepest pockets have been at the top and they dictated kind of the, the, the way the game has gone. So, it, you know, it, it, there was no um, football and utopia in the past of, you know, democracy and support for ownership. It's always been about wealthy people investing in clubs and that wealth fuels success. I just, you just think that, uh, you know, certainly with the, with the European Super League, it, it's the sense that it's, it now, it's now all that matters. Really, it's not just that money does matter, but also all the things are important too. It's just about money, and it's got nothing to do with, with you know, uh, 
the, the community or existing fans. But it was uh, legacy fans, wasn't it? Old kind of the fans that have been there for years. They just don't matter anymore to the people who run these clubs. And it's, it's a, maybe a, a move to a different kind of football, one where it's, it is literally just the bottom line that matters. I'm 33. I remember watching football when there was one night of European football a week and two games on Sky every weekend that were live. Am I a legacy fan? I don't know. I think you are. I think mm. I think when it, it's legacy fans and future fans. I think future fans are like kids. I mean, kids. You know, certainly when I'm talking to my son and his mates, they don't look at football the way the way that we did when we were younger. It's about superstars and and superstar clubs. So they're kind of in that bracket. But equally, when they say future fans, they mean kind of future markets, they, they, you know, China, India, places like that. So the, the, the idea of a football club being rooted in one community, like someone like Everton, where your fans are drawn up from local units and they, they, they just support that club and they don't dilute their, uh, their kind of their, their support amongst other brands. If those sort of fans that these owners want to move away from, they want uh, people who want to see lots of goals you want to see superstar players constantly who who aren't necessarily from the community where these clubs are based that's that's the kind of the, the markets that they are trying to appeal to I think so you think Everton and Farhad Moshiri's money do you think Farhad cares about fans who um, watched Everton in the 1980s I think he might say he does whether he really does I don't know I think I think he wants success and he wants this club to be built up and I, I imagine become more valuable in, in the long term I don't doubt he has some affection to Everton I think I don't think you get involved and invest your time and your money if you don't have or even if, if you develop some affection for the club but I don't put him in the same bracket as Bill Kenwright mm, yes well yes I was going to ask if anyone's on the board but obviously is Kenwright like the life president now I don't know why he is. He's still knocking around, but he's... Um, the former CEO, the former owner. Yeah. yeah, he just kind of... I mean, certainly he's not, weirdly, he's not very popular amongst the fans. I think he's seen as somebody who's, who's, who's kind of culture has, has held the club back. But um, I think for those of us who followed him in the 90s, I think we always, we'll always recognise what he did for the club. He, he stepped in when nobody else wanted to. And he appointed David Moyes, who effectively you know, gave us a... a Resurrection, really. Yeah, he he took Everton through the highs, lows, and Bakayoko's. He did, he did, and he kind of, you know, I, I think people forget just how bad things were at that club in the you know nineteen ninety nine two thousand. It was a, it was a not a fun club to support, and you got the sense that we were only heading one way. And then, in the space of maybe a decade, we were back playing European football again. That's you know, Ken might played a massive part in that, and he's certainly an Evertonian. He certainly gets the club. But I'm not sure Machete is in the same mould. I think Everton, they're the people's club, they're the biggest local club. Uh, and of course, across Stanley Park, you've got various members of the Scouse Mafia. John W. Henry to go back to Boston. Um, I like the fact that in this book, there are subtle digs at the red team. The best uh, happens when you um, talk about uh, an entity who has sold its soul for access. So I imagine you don't like the Anfield rap. No, I don't. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of fancy. I mean, fancy, as I said in the book, it can, when it works, it can be fantastic. But you do get the sense sometimes that they are that they pull their punches. And, and you know, whereas I can recall, I mean, I grew up with like fanzines and fanzine culture and fanzines. Like they, 
Evans, one of those guys who play, was, you know, it was ruthless. If the club was doing things wrong, it, 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 it wouldn't hold back. It was, you know, really, it can be very kind of uh, aggressive towards the club. And it, it was generally the, the voice of the fans. When you look at a lot of these fan TV um, channels, it's it's not like that. It doesn't feel like a, it's, it's meant to be a fanzine in kind of visual form, but it's not. It's often kind of, you know, it's quite toadian towards, towards a club because they want access. They want interviews with players and managers. And inevitably, if you do that, you can't be critical. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I, I just think it's, the, the, they feel more like, some of them feel more like an extension of the club, which is what, which is kind of everything you want kind of fan medium not to be. You want it to be the kind of the voice of the, of the fans, really. I'm looking forward to seeing what Andy Mitten has to say about all of this because Andy reports for various big um, magazines with the access. I think he's the editor of, is it United Review or United We Stand, whichever? We Stand, we yeah. Stand, yeah. United UWS. Um, and I've, obviously they've always been anti-Glazer, always been anti-Woodward. They really have to go now. And I don't know if you saw the clip of Avi Glazer being dorsepped by, irony warning, Sky Sports News. <laughs> that is, that's the moment. That's the moment that everyone has to wake up and look at who's doing the chasing as well as who's being chased. So, yeah, if you're Andy Mitten and you're sitting down to write the editorial and you know that all the eyeballs are on what you say, you've got to distance yourself completely from every aspect of this regime. Well, definitely now. I mean, I think it's, yeah, as you said, this is the moment. If, you, if they ever wanted to, to get rid of the glazers, it's going to happen now. With a lot of this, with kind of the, the, the kind of opposition towards the ASL and kind of the, the, the people disliking this, these, this kind of new generation of owners, if it doesn't change now, it probably never will. I mean, I, I, I suspect, you know, a year down the line, not a lot will have changed. You might get a token fan on the board just to look good. But I mean, I think people who really want a root and branch reform of English football, this is the moment. But I suspect it'll probably just pass. And then in five years' time, we'll probably have a European Super League and we'll have more billionaire owners from outside of our communities. That's just the way football mm. is going, really. Two things pertaining to that. Chelsea have just announced that there are going to be three fan reps. When oh. Swansea was bought out, they bought out the fan share and they almost said, to hell with you. In addition, with United, they didn't want Michael Knighton. They didn't particularly want Murdoch and B Sky B buying them. They didn't want the Glazers. Let's say, oh, I don't know, Iran, because Abu Dhabi's got one, Qatar's got one. Bahrain, the, the Emir of Bar- Sultan of Bahrain is going to buy Man United. They're not brilliant at human rights. And yet, compared to the Glazers, at least they'll put someone there, like Man City have installed this Kaldunel Mubarak to do the bidding of uh, the Crown Prince's brother at Man City. So is that what it's going to be? Had the Glazers come in and invested, and had Man U uh, remained on the top of the game and they were getting to Champions League finals, I don't think the fans would have a problem. Fans want to win. That's the kind of you know that's where you first get involved with football. You 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 follow a team because you want to see them win games and get as high as they can. And that often conflicts with maybe your own political views about football. And it's a, it's, it's a weird battle because. You know, you can, you know, politically dislike certain regimes and all of the same people, but if they come in suddenly and shower your club with cash and that cash can yield success, a lot of fans can, can, can take it. They can hold those two positions because fundamentally they want to win. So I don't think there's kind of any moral consideration when it, when it comes to football ownership. 
they, when it comes to supporters, they just want, you know, it's as I said before, the Glazers had delivered and Man you were, you know, three times European champions over the last 10 years. This wouldn't be happening. Yeah. If you had a financial share in a stock-floated club, you would financially benefit from it. No one is financially benefiting in the King's Road, who is a Chelsea fan. It's all kind of shared pride. So they don't have any financial ownership, but they've got an emotional stakehold in, yeah. in United, Chelsea, Everton. So when they break off to form a Super League, it means, what are they railing against? They're railing against turbo capitalism, to quote your phrase. Yeah, really, yeah. That's the, uh, the weird thing about modern football. It's kind of, I think it's, it's gone down a certain path now and it's inevitable where it's going to end up. It's just, it's can, can fans live with it? I think some, there are, I mean, for every club there are a certain section of fans that have the activist element who find it a challenge. But I think the vast majority, I got, and of course, you know, from, from our point of view, we think of this from, from like, a, like an English perspective. And of course, for a lot of these clubs, that's not the build end all to their, their fan base. I mean, someone like Man U, how many of their fans are actually, what proportion are based in Manchester, what proportion are based in England? You're talking about a, a, a club whose fan base is spread right across the world. I would imagine most of those fans couldn't give a shit about uh, the political dimension of a European Super League or, or, or owner. They just, as I said before, they just want to win. I, I, I suspect um, this isn't done despite the opposition that exists among certain sections of, of fan bases. It's not going to make much difference than in, the, in the long term. There is a pictorial representation of that kind of fan, and it's the chap on the cover of your book, Is It Just Me or Is Modern Football S-T, out now, <laughs> price twelve ninety nine on pitch. Did your brother-in-law base the fan who is holding up a half-and-half half scarf on anyone in particular? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. But, I mean, he must have seen somebody with that. I think it's, you know, I think that item of clothing is... For a certain section of football supporters, something that is truly loathed because it goes against everything that football is meant to be, isn't it? It's kind of you know you're not meant to you're meant to go to a game and you're meant to for those ninety minutes loathe the opposition. Uh, even if you can af- afterwards you can put it to one side for the, you know, during the game, you do not support both teams. And equally, it's not meant to be kind of a souvenir of a day out, a scarf. It's uh, it it seems to kind of to capture a new kind of fan who was just there for the spectacle, I guess, uh, generally at one of the big clubs. Um, but I, personally, I, I, I despise them. I think it's a yeah. terrible development. It's the, but it's the demand. People wouldn't buy them if people didn't want them. Yeah, exactly. And it's obviously, you know, football support is changing. There are people who just see it as... It, no difference to going to the cinema or going to watch theatre. You're going for the event to be entertained. Um, and, a, and a half scarf to them makes perfect sense without being ashamed to wear one. There are, the half scarves are one of the many things in this book that you rail against, but you make some very good points uh, that shine like sparkling diamonds amongst the muck. Football, you say, is a commodity... Which means that if you are given the choice between a team that wins stuff and Watford, you will choose Man City, and that's when City beat Watford 6-0 in a cup final. You, as a glory hunter who may also support, like, I don't know, Dortmund, uh, the San Jose Earthquakes, and Tranmere, um, because they win in the fourth tier. Or are they in the third? Yeah, the fourth tier. They've done well this season. 
that's that's what you want. You're you're not hunting glory. You're hunting the kind of shared um, enthusiasm of these clubs, and then you can just drop them. Say Messi leaves Barcelona. Think of how many fans Barca are going to lose. Yeah, that's. But I mean, for certainly amongst kids, that's how football is now seen. I think it's. When I grew up, you didn't you didn't dilute your your, your support. You you never switch teams ever, uh, and you didn't glory hunt. You kind of you you drew a line to your nearest club, and you know pretty much that was it. Unless maybe your family support the certain club. Those two were kind of the two main determinants of, of who you follow. But I know there's been research by Copper Ninety have gone into this and. And the sense of uh, spreading your support around is common amongst uh, younger fans. And the idea that you can support, not just glory hunt in this country, I mean, we've had that for years, but like, you know, Liverpool fans down south and that kind of stuff. But to, now to glory hunt on a European level, you can live in, you know, Brighton and support Barcelona. And that's fine. It's, um, it's a very different way of viewing uh, fandom and it's something that is it's alien to me but that could just be my age but it's I find it weird I, I think you you've got your team and then no matter how much uh, misery they put you through and how you know unenjoyable it is to watch them that's what you do because that's your team that, that isn't the sense amongst kids today I think Brighton has as many good shops and um, kind of vistas as Barcelona so that was yeah. a, um, we will we'll try and gallop through uh, very shortly this book but did you make up the term corporate football? If you did, well done. No, I think it's been knocking out for a while. I, I wish I had, because it's, cause it's, you know... It, Perfect. It's, I, think, I think when you kind of, yeah, when you mention it, it's so many things come to mind. It's, it's, a, it's a great catch-all for, um, for a way of viewing football as a fan, a way of how owners approach football, a way of how clubs run themselves. It's, it's, about, it's about the bottom line, club of football. It's not about necessarily football. It's about um, it's it's money. Football is money, really, and it's um, it's something that I think you felt first starting may, maybe in the early to mid nineties, but it's it's galloped ahead since then. It's now such a massive part of of um, our national game. Yeah, and if you want a comparison, look at Nashville, um, the city built on song, and you can tell that some of the songs are just you can hear the kaching in the chorus because that's all they yeah. are. They're, they're made to make money. Um, talking of money, what is the name of the Vitality dog? Stanley. Yeah, Renato Sanchez's yeah. friend, Stanley the Dachshund. Yeah, that one can be passed to us. But yeah, it's um, again, it's a small thing, but it's, you know, I, I, again, it's probably just my age, but I can remember advertising boards, just advertising pretty boring things, like, you know, just like local companies, where now it's all whistles and bells, isn't it? Yeah, but that's what makes the money. Um, yeah, exactly. Let's look at, to choose a letter at random, D. Edgar Davids's uncontrollable ego, deadline day, diving, dodgy handballs, and my favourite, this was anthology worthy, this chapter, Adrian Durham. Um, talk sport, you say, is an oral rendition of the sun's back pages. It is almost unlistenable, talk sport. Yeah, I find, I, yeah, I find it difficult to, to, to kind of wonder why, why, why it, it really exists. Because you you know, if, you, if, you, if you want to listen to kind of radio about football... There are much better alternatives. You know, the, the local BBC radio stations, when they call yeah. football, do it well. Uh, or you can listen to the good examples of, of, of fan media. Why you need this um, station that is all about controversy and, and its approach to kind of to, to how it discusses the national game is, is 
awful at times. It's 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 about kind of headlines and and you know getting traction on social media. It's not really about delivering information about football. You can get you can do a much better way to get that. And lest we forget, the guy who came up with the idea for Talksport also called Ross Barkley a gorilla. Did he? Yeah. 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 Well, he's a he's a he's a, a wretched individual, isn't he? Okay. Horrible. He's just one yeah, one of the worst people to have existed in British public life over the last thirty years. You Anything know, he touched. Yeah. Of everyone who hasn't murdered someone or sucked the life out of a business, he is one of the worst. He's he's completely despicable, and the only way that we'd stop it happening is just to turn off. Nothing is yeah. making us listen to Jim White right now go off about how money has ruined football. No, it's a, it's a ridiculous station, but it's obviously popular because it's been going for a long time. But I think it's, you know, there's certainly part of it where they've, as I said in the, in the book, where they've tried to move away from kind of the, the McKenzie vision, but there's still too much of that in there. It, does, it, it has a, a definite sun feel to it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I find it kind of, I can't really listen to it. It's just, I just think it's crap. Hopefully it's changing. Um, heat maps are the cold play of statistics. Discuss. Yeah, well, it's for people like me who maybe can't get their head around kind of staff revolution in football. I, I still don't entirely get XG and why it matters, but I mean, I, I, it must do because people mention it a lot, but heat maps, I get heat maps. I can, you can literally see where people have been touching the ball so you can you can sound like you're kind of fully versed in the kind of information evolution, but actually you're not. You haven't really done the work for it, which I, I certainly haven't. But I can occasionally chuck that in. That's why that's why I don't like because it's because it's, it's a lazy man's approach to this issue. Something that got me in trouble this season, I've stopped doing it, is the Hornet hyperbole. Just going completely over the top whenever Watford do something well or badly. There's no in between, and <laughs> I. I love what you say about Robbie Savage. Hyperbole made flesh. Yeah, well, he is, though, isn't he? He just, it's, it's, you know, football isn't, football has periods of boredom. There are periods of the game where, where it's, it's not that good. He's sitting watching Everton, that's, that, that's the case. Whereas he's, he tries to kind of inject extremes into, into everything. It's not warranted. He's exhausting to listen to. Yeah, it is. There's, there's no middle way. Um, Zed, zealotry. Year Zero, Zillionaires, Our Friends Latan, and Pundit Zoo. You've absolutely, again, nail on head. Pundit Zoo. So, pertaining to that, Jamie Carragher, Jamie Redknapp, Steve McManaman, Snog Marry Avoid. Uh, can you just avoid all three? Is that not possible? Is that not, is that not, not an option? Uh, they're all... Again, again, I can't watch them, can't listen to them, really. It's, you know, as soon as you know that, um, that they're kind of doing the... Kind of co-commentary, I, it, I find it really hard to have it turned on, really, because it's just um, unlistenable. The co-coms, which of course didn't exist when you started watching football, who was the first yeah. co-com? Was it like I, David, I was it um, Jimmy Armfield? I don't know, I don't really know, I mean, I, mean, I guess they're there to kind of provide oh. a, a pro's opinion on... Um, and what's going on but actually when you used to watch football and there's just one commentator it wasn't like you were crying out for extra levels of, of chat you just wanted somebody to explain what was going on when they do provide this it's not like they're necessarily illuminating they're not really adding anything to the experience they're just going through the same tired cliches all the time bringing their own kind of bias to the game so it's um, I don't really understand what they provide and someone like like uh, uh, Redknapp provide me I 
definitely provides nothing. Nothing he says is of any consequence ever. It's just the same tired cliches, it's banality. You know, as soon as he comes on, it's basically white noise. Yeah. I like um, Alex Stewart, who reports for TIFO Football. He watches football with the sound off. Yeah, but it's weird, isn't it? I think if you, I've tried it a few times, and because you spent, I spent so many years watching the sound on, it just feels strange. It was like when you watched them. Um, the games without crowd noise during... Um, yeah, know, I've tried game. not to. See, I, I, I don't like it. I'm so conditioned to hearing that. So when you've got this eerie, eerie silence or you've got kind of hidden players shouts, it feels like a Sunday league game. It feels really weird. The same is true of listening without commentary. I just, I'm just conditioned to it. But it's even though while I'm listening to it, the, the co-commentator is irritating me. What happens to Michael Richards when the laughter stops? I don't know. <laughs> well, because that was that's old. very dark. You it, you seem to think that he kind of goes, oh, I'm actually older than Michael Richards. He's very much richer than me, but he's 32. Um, he should still be playing. He's had all these injuries, and he is kind of the whisketed, waistcoated pundit of choice now. He's everywhere. Yes, he because he's so kind of full of life. But I mean, should you be that full of life? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a miserable old shit. But I just think, <laughs> yeah, he's just. I'm suspicious of someone who's that happy. He can't be that happy. He can't be living that all the time, laughing that much. Surely there's got to be a moment when he stops. Well, I would like to see the um, video diary from the Euro of Michael Richards. Maybe that's something that will pop up. Will you be watching the Euro? England, Scotland, England, Croatia? No, I don't really get into England. I don't know if it's a a Liverpool thing or not, but there's never really been much appetite for the national team. I I think we've always felt slightly disconnected from especially Everton because we didn't really have any players playing for them. But I think it's... um, Like, come World Cups and and Euros, I've never been kind of part of that kind of swelling feeling for the national I just don't get it. It just doesn't click with me at all. I, I, I can't put club of a country, really. Page 57, Ingerland Mania. Yeah. Suddenly the back pages in the, um, where is it, the 2000s or 96 began to beat their jingoistic jungle drums, extolling us to get behind our boys. Yeah, I hate that as well. Could you imagine yeah. Harry Kane serving in Iraq? Or, um, yeah, to be fair, we went over the top, we got three points and now we're going home. Um, <laughs> The town centre's full quiet. No more pints to be thrown in joy. Inger land mania never lasts beyond tournaments. Even in the lulls, you know it's just waiting. Yeah, I, I hope we lose the first three games. It would be great for Scotland to win against England. They almost did the other year, remember? Yeah. Well, I think it's always nice to, to watch a tournament where, when England aren't in. Right? Yeah. I think back to, was it, was it USA? USA 94. That was a great tournament because there was like there was no, not none of that back page stuff in the papers. There was no sense of kind of uh, kind of jingoistic feeling amongst people. You just watching a football tournaments on its own merits, and uh, it was it was so much more enjoyable. It, I mean, really, the World Cup is always better once England are out. I always enjoy it a lot more. Just because the papers focus on something else, but Henry Winter wants England to play with gusto and vim. Uh, and so Raheem Sterling is going to be... Look, I look forward to the coverage of Raheem Sterling this summer. I think that's going to be very fun. Uh, see if it's going to be the same as it was the other year. Think of the sticker books for World Cup 2026. FIFA, as you would expect, gets a kicking in this book. Is it just me or modern football is SSSS? Uh, the World Cup, the Club World Cup, um, the 
FIFA video game, which is the future of football, which is, I suppose, FIFA only give their name to it. But that's what they want. FIFA have wanted it. A global football yeah. festival. Yeah, that's what they, yeah, it's, um, I mean, the game is, is what, I think, I think if, if, if the people who run, who run football could design their perfect game, it would be like FIFA, the video game. I mean, I play it, but it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, it's, it's all about tricks and scorelines and superstars, and that is, that is what they want. They do not want a tidy four nil nil uh, between two between Burnley and West Brom. That's not what the future football is meant to be. Well, you should ask the West Brom chairman. Apparently, Sam Allardyce is staying at West Brom next season because he's got unfinished business. Yeah, well, he'll, he'll probably get them up. Yeah, he, he will. You know, Obviously, he'll thrive in that division the way the way he kind he of works the team. Yeah, they'll bounce back. So it's um, it makes perfect sense to keep him. I mean, it'll be a hard watch. You know, based on my experience of watching and uh, his version of Everton, which was just awful. But if you want to get back into the Premier League, then and that's all that matters to you, then why not? Sam Allardyce nowhere to be seen on the cover of this book, um, which we'll get back to. But there are three stats in this book that are just incredible. At football's rate of inflation, how much would a loaf of bread cost today? It is just insane and you'll have to read the book. Six championship clubs, because of all the parachute payments, get a total of a quarter of a billion pounds, whereas the solidarity payments paid to the 18 other championship clubs work out at, you can do it per club or in toto. Um, I forgot what it was, it was four. Yeah, four million. Four and a half million, which if you scale like, that yeah. up is eighty-one million pounds. Yeah. Or yeah, it's obviously two Richarlisons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's obviously it's, you know we wonder why the championship is the way it is. It's you know it's a league. It's it's a basket case of, of a division, and yeah, and, and people look for reasons. Oh, is it wages? Is it's, it's that? That's the main, That's the reason that we 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 can't. The Premier League gives these clubs going. That these clubs have failed. Get this massive financial reward for going down, but then obviously massively distorts the, the division below. In my previous book, I, I talked to owners from uh, League One and Championship, and they're saying it's just obscene. How do you compete with a with a club coming down with that degree of financial advantage? It's not you just what you what you do is you borrow or you or you take stupid risks, and that's why there's just so much debt in the Championship. It's um, but as I said in the book, that's what the Premier League wants. They don't really want uh, a division where anyone can come up. They want like a Premier League two just beneath them, where the same handful of clubs can bounce back and compete. They don't really yeah. want outsiders crashing in. Scott Duxbury has said for a while, we want Watford to be the best of the rest. Well, unfortunately, Southampton, Everton, Leeds, Villa... Uh, to a certain extent, Newcastle, although if they went down, it would be the greatest thing to happen because then Ashley really would be in trouble. And Mike Ashley, I don't think, is mentioned in this book. But there are, there are chapters on owners and it's, it's come up in the Super League. Um, one thing that is mentioned that is left uh, unsaid in this book, what was in Everton's DNA? Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't explained to us. I think it, it, it was kind of left for us to, to make up our own mind. I mean, if, as, you know, as I mentioned in the book, for me, it's... When you say Everton's DNA, I'd say underachievement, letting uh, hope being crushed. Really, that's that's what I associate Everton with. You know, perfectly right now, it's you know the, the team that that should be getting European football is somehow managing to blow it. 
and produce terrible football in the process. That's what Everton do. That's our DNA. Are you looking forward to another evil summer of hope dawning, which is one of the things that make modern football shit? I mean, you can see... This is, is the latest in recent seasons that people have begun to, to say, oh, let's bring on the summer, let's, you know, summer of change, and everything will, everything will come good. But the past, I don't know, four or five seasons has been the same same kind of thing trotted out. You see it all over social media, you know, we're a big, big transfer window coming up, we're bringing some new players, and that made, made a difference. But it doesn't. It's just, it's just more of the same. We'll bring in two or three players, maybe one of them or two of them will be good. There'll be a few who aren't. And then we'll have a season where we all think it's going to turn a corner and then come the last few months will be probably eighth, which is where we seem to just finish all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, yeah, the, to me, the summer's just become, ugh, this, this again, you know, better, you know, link with this person, don't get him. This person comes instead, you know. Link with Zaha, get It's pointless, really. Well, talk about Everton players not playing for England. Pickford and Calvert-Lewin are both on the plane. They could have good tournaments. Pickford did his career a world yeah. of good at the World Cup, but he is one clangor away from disaster. <laughs> do you think he's due a clangor? Didn't he do a clangor the other week? It's, all, I've kind of, it, it's always there. I mean, it, often he gets away with it, yeah, Pickford, and you're thinking, oh, that, that should have been a goal. He's, he's, a, he's a funny keeper. I think, I, just, I, mean, I think you're hoping that he'll grow out of it, but I get the feeling it's just part of him. It's just, he's just going to be that kind of copia. He does produce some fantastic saves, and his recent form has been excellent, but like, I don't fear, if he has a good tournament, I don't fear someone coming to buy him. I think most clubs would look at him and, think, and still think that ah, he's, he's, he's a risk. Whereas Calvert-Lewin, if he goes away and has a really good tournament, I'd be more fearful of him leaving the club, because he's Young, he's English. He's getting better season by season. He's scoring goals. You know, I haven't got a dry spell lately, but he's scoring goals more regularly than he has done previously. If you were a big club, you'd take a good look at him. Yeah, and ditto Richarlison. And as as I mentioned this morning uh, online, you remind us that Neymar, the show pony of football, yeah, twenty nine years old. Uh-huh. And that, that really, that when I was writing that, that really shocked me. I thought he was like 25 or something, or 26. I could, he, you know, he's coming to the end of his career, probably. He's in the last two or three years of being, you know, probably really good. Yet he still feels like he's a child. Ugly crying, full-on, almost cartoonish tears, like the kind <laughs> a three-year-old, probably brackets your three-year-old, might knock out <laughs> after you steal their ice cream. Yeah, but he does. He, he cries like he's like he's still a child. I mean, you know, it's, it's weird enough to see footballers crying, but crying that much like that, it's you know, for a man who's you know pushing thirty, it's really strange. Yeah. The figure of modern football, which is shit, 